1758. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. along your host and I invite you to step away from the mainstream and gather around as we share and to enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we all call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical UFOs to Unicorn, and everything in between. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Tonight we have a very special guest with us. He is the artist, creator of the Montauk Chronicles. Now, the the Montauk Chronicles is a story of three men who claim that between 1971 and 1983, secret experiments were conducted deep beneath the surface of the Camp Hero Air Force Base located in Montauk, Long Island, New York. Christopher Garitano began his journey in 2006, subsequently creating two different films on the subject matter. The final film is a culmination of almost a decade-long investigation regarding the alleged Camp Hero experiments. He traveled around the country to personally interview the men who stated who started the legend, Alfred Balick, Stuart Swerdlow, and Preston Nichols. The film features interviews with all three men. 
In January 2015, Montauk Chronicles premiered at the Philip K. Dick Film Festival in New York and won the Best Documentary Award. And in February of that same year, Preston and Christopher were featured on the nationwide talk show Coast to Coast AM. He is forever a devoted, he is forever devoted to exploring original territory in movie making and he did indeed go quite a distance with this one. If you want to check out the website, it's http, um, it's colon, forward slash, forward slash, mtk, chronicles.com and uh, Sean will put that into the chat room for us so that if you're interested and it will also this show will also be archived on my website and his link will also be um, in that material as well if you after listening to him and being fascinated as I have been I I am sure that you will want to pick up a copy of it and check it out welcome to the show Christopher Oh, thank you, Barb. Thank you very much. Um, I have to say that, that most documentaries on material like this, you know, they either scare the heck out of me or they bore the heck out of me. But the one word that I find that, 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 you know, encapsulates your entire project, um, is that it, it has a, a mystifying concept to it. It has a positive, even though the material is dark, it has a positive um, flair to it. You tied it up with with so much positive that it, it was amazing. And you come away, in spite of the fact that it's a very dark film, you come away with a positive feeling that humanity has a chance. And I think you, it was masterfully done. Oh, thank you very much. Well, the idea that humanity has a chance is certainly my uh, own personal sentiment. And I feel like I'm aware that we live in a very dark world with a lot of beautiful things in it. And, um, you know, I wanted to reflect that in the picture. And I think anything I make uh, may have those themes for quite some time. I don't know where, you know, I, I'm allowing the process to unfold organically. But Montauk itself is that kind of story. And, uh, you know, I lived with it for a very long time, two motion pictures in almost 10 years. So, um, you know, it's in there. It's in this movie that's out there right now. Well, you know, the, the, uh, well, you know, my background, I come from, you know, uh, an esoteric background. So I always watch for those signs and those, those hints in, in whatever I, I watch. And, and obviously, um, there was a calling for you to make this movie. Um, now I'm not saying that, you know, God, you know, waved a wand and said, you know, this is your calling. You have to do this. But, um, I, I believe that, that, that people are called to do, to have projects that they do that, that absolutely, um, takes over their life for a period of time. And once it's accomplished, it takes them on an amazing journey. And, and I think that's what you've got here with this movie. I I have to agree with you because I I had time to have uh, introspection and self reflection about the time period making it. By the end of it, I was very sick. I actually just recently put up some new pictures of myself. Just I, I you know I I was able to I lost maybe thirty five pounds. Uh, I was very sick at the end of it. Um, I looked sick. I was. I had lost everything. I had nowhere to live, really. Um, 
And so I've since it's been a year since I put it out. Um, I've since been able to get myself my health back and my my sanity back in order for the most part. <laughs> and uh, you know, I have a place to live, and I'm you know, I, I I when you're coming out of that fog and you look back and getting to the point, you you mentioned that I was chosen or I was definitely driven. Uh, and, and, and any sane reason I could have had to have to stop throughout the entire thing, both movies, they were there. You know, I mean, every reason to stop was there, but I didn't for some reason. And I'm certainly not a um, a masochist. I don't I don't enjoy pain. <laughs> so well, yeah, I I think when um when when we are compelled to do something. And, and, you know, it's not like finishing the pie in the refrigerator. It's when we are truly driven to do something and we can't explain why that it's best not to fight it. It's best to kind of flow with it because, because there is something within that project that will, that will trigger things in other people that will, and, and, and I think the, the thing that for me is frustrating because this is something similar, not quite as profound, but similar, you know, happened to me when I created a deck of, of cards. Um, there's a sense of the frustration comes when, when you hope that it makes a difference, but you can't tell if it does. And, and you have to basically just, just turn it loose and give it wings and it takes you for an amazing ride. I, I would, um, I would imagine that, that this is going to awaken in many people, um, well, certainly anger at what happened at Montauk, but, but realizing that our government did and is still doing things as, as atrocious as what went on there. And, and I, I sometimes wonder, is there another government beyond the government we know about? I, I think that maybe our politicians and everybody are totally um, unaware of what's going on, that there is another level of government out there that, that, is, that is in charge of these projects like the Manhattan Project and like the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Project and, and oh, yes. you know um, – even Project Paperclip, I'm not sure that they even knew that the German scientists were bringing, were, were being brought over to work on, um, certainly the, the, the atom bomb and then, um, the rocketry and, and stuff like that. I, 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 I think that there is a level of government that, that we just don't know about. Oh, oh, absolutely. For certain. And, and that's what a lot of this is about. I believe certain politicians or people in politics or people in the government or people in the military, uh, military science even, certainly know about what's going on. But perhaps there are a lot of public figures figures that don't. They're mixed in with each other. And this is what I believe after do, you know, doing research and really thinking about it. Uh, because I haven't had full confirmation. There, there's a lot to... I mean, look, you just question this. And you had mentioned a couple of the previous projects. You said the Tuskegee experiments now this was a situation this was an atrocious situation there's there were men that were approached and given they were told under false pretenses free medical care okay but in reality this was the u.s government decided that they were going to deceive these men and inject them with a deadly disease 
and monitor them lying to them over the course of years. I think, I don't know if it was a decade or a little bit more even, uh, to see how the disease affected. This is disgusting how it affected these men through that course of time. So there's a lot of nefarious things going on and you wonder who orchestrates these things, who approves of them and who's paying for them. And so yes, there's something much greater out there, much darker than you can think of and we have little clues uh, uh throughout history to let us to confirm that of course. I think a lot of us really don't want to believe it's like that, but unfortunately it is. Well, you know, I'm not a great conspiracy person, or at least I haven't been up until maybe the last couple of years. And I, you, you mentioned something in your film that, that, um, towards the very, very end, you said, um, the, something to the effect that we are all pieces in a game and we don't even know what the, what the game is. Sure. And, and and it just it it blows my mind when I when I come across things. I mean, this project, you know, maybe for those people who you know, now I've been to Montauk and I've seen the lighthouse, um, you know, but I didn't realize all that had gone on in Montauk. So for those people that are unaware of what the Montauk project was, can you kind of not in a two, not in two hours, but can you no, kind no. of encapsulate it just a little bit? Of course, <laughs> of course. Well, this is the thing. Montauk, the town of Montauk in the summers, as you know, because you said you visited the lighthouse, is well known as a vacation spot in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. There are beaches, there are resorts. Uh, it's a place to, I spent my summer vacations there when I was a little kid. So I didn't know about this stuff, and if I did, especially with what I was interested in as a little kid, pretty much the same things that I'm interested in now, I would have loved the idea that there were aliens up on a hill somewhere underneath a dark military tower. That would have been a great summer. But I didn't know about it until much later. And when it was put forth, again, um, the idea is this. Between 1971 and 1983, allegedly, there were secret experiments being conducted underneath underneath the Camp Hero Air Force Base. Now, you have that town and you have those resorts and those beaches, but five miles away from town, right near the lighthouse, uh, a little further to the right, which is basically covered by woods, you can't really tell it's there unless you drive up, is this military base. And it was concealed, basically, from the public. And according to legend and according to the stories, or the so-called survivors now, they say that during that period of time, there were these clandestine experiments being conducted, which included uh, kidnapping of runaway children being used for human subjects in the experiments. Uh, and these were mind control experiments being designed to create everything from uh, to heighten psychic abilities, to create assassins, to create Manchurian candidate type assassins. And then they also said there was a reverse engineering of alien technology beneath there. I mean, everything you can think of that would fit in a, a science fiction film, uh, you know, about a military base is there. So when I first heard the story, I felt right away it was false because it was just it wasn't just one of these things. It was all of these things. And the men that brought the story out, which were only four in number. Uh, from the 1990s until now. Now there are more people that say they were there, but there were four men. It was Alfred Bielek, Preston Nichols, Stuart Swerdlow, all three of which appear in my film, and then there was Duncan Cameron, who I uh-huh. spoke with a lot, but never ended up getting together for an interview. 
So it was only those four men. And there was a book that came out in the mid-90s or early 90s uh, that told of an abridged version of the tale I'm telling you. It, it left out a lot of the kidnapping and murder of these boys, which came out in further detail later. I think they were just eliminating that from this. It was a very small book, the, the first mm-hmm. book by Preston Nick. So uh, I focused mainly, and I felt that this was most important and most believable because it's tantamount to other projects that were happening around the time like mk ultra and stuff like that that they were taking runaway kids um these these scientists or the people that worked for them and wrangling them from you know runaways from new york city or adjacent areas or neighboring boroughs and taking them as human subjects and bringing them into this program it gets a little more complicated and there's a there's a few more details that i've learned across the along the way but this is basically what these four men for many years said happened there. Uh, but then they also say there were time travel experiments and, and, and a variety of aliens from different places that were offering up their technologies in exchange, I guess, for some of these human uh, subjects to be used in their own experimentation. Yeah, I, I know that... Um Rumor has it Eisenhower signed a, a, a treaty with the aliens and, and in order to allow aliens to use us as, as, you know, experimental subjects, the only, the only thing that, that was required was that, that they be returned, you know, to, to where they were taken from. Um, I, I have it, I have a difficult time thinking that, that, um, aliens would even sign any kind of a treaty with us. It, it sounds kind of like the, this, you know, we signed treaties with the Indians and then we broke the treaties immediately. I, I get the feeling that aliens would do about the same thing. I, you know, and, and I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen a UFO and, and I've had a very positive feeling from it and yet, um, in so many of these these instances, I hear about very negative and frightening things happening to people, and I never got that feeling on the saucer that I saw or or the 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 energy that was coming from it. So um, I, I kind of step back and think, now why would they sign a contract with any government? I mean, the the um, the the scientists who were in charge of this project now now Al and Preston and Stewart um, they weren't scientists the scientists is and correct me if I'm wrong um, were were really scientists that came from um, Germany from Project Paperclip they according went, to Alfred and according to Preston mm-hmm. yeah it was those same scientists and they apparently were kicked out of Brookhaven Labs by Congress, and their la- their next refuge was Camp Hero, but in a sub-level of Camp Hero, unbeknownst to a lot of the people that worked topside, according to the gentleman in my picture. Again, these things have not been confirmed. It's from the mouth of the men who have been putting out this story for years. Now, Alfred Bielek has since passed away in, uh-huh. in 2011. Well, I have to admit, I, I listened to a lot of the interviews with... Um, Stewart and with Alfred and a couple with Duncan Cameron and they sound as as sincere as as 
people can be. They sound as though they have been through something horrific. Um, and, and yet, and, and even Al Balik, I mean, he seemed horrified by what was going on there at the end as well. So, uh, you know, you, you kind of get the impression that, that something, something was definitely going on and it feels as though it possibly got out of hand because when they were throwing numbers around of, of young boys that, that had been, that died in the process of this this mind control thing that they went through. Apparently, um, they traumatized the the boys to the to the place where where their mind shattered to a certain degree, and they were able to program a part of their mind to be the Manchurian um, candidate. Right. This was done through trauma specifically. Um what would they would do is they would take the human subject and put them through a series of trauma, fear-based trauma, physical trauma, beatings, everything you can imagine, atrociously imagine. Mm-hmm. And then the idea was, as Preston explains, you have this place in your mind where your worst fears are. So they would bring you to that state of extreme fear, and then they would implant the suggestion into that place where you don't want to go you know those 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 thoughts and that during that during under heavy drugs and under heavy beatings and everything else they would do to you and then later utilize that as part of the mind control this is what they said happened and this has been used in other other programs the idea though throughout all the years looking through this is you know my first interest was the fact that i had an opportunity to sit personally with alfred bielik personally with Preston Nichols and personally with Stuart Swerdlow in their homes, which I did, and talk with them. And that's where it started. See, filmmaking for me and, and many other movie makers who care, it's an organic process. Yes, you come in with many rigid ideas and visions, but the idea is also because it's such an organic thing, if, if you know movie making, you kind of have to allow things to come through the door while you're making it. I couldn't predetermine everything or anything that anyone was going to say to me. So I came in and I allowed them to speak when I would ask questions. And then I captured it the best I could. And I, I asked questions that I felt would kind of evoke an emotion because that's in the film. And I've not seen that in any of the other interviews with these men. There's really no emotion with them. You know, I mean, Preston gets very upset. You can see mm-hmm. when we talk about the boys, you know, he doesn't want to face that because his love is science. And so for a man who was kind of a loner his whole life, and someone who, uh, well, I guess didn't really have much social interaction, but his love is science and technology. And for someone like that, the opportunity to work with alien technology, I'm sure, was uh, gargantuan. So he, I mean, this is just what I interpreted after being with him, many, you know, hanging out with him and being in his home many times and speaking with him, that I feel uh, that's what was in his mind. So he really tries to justify or even ignore the fact that, and all three men claim at least, uh, uh, perhaps even a hundred thousand or more children murdered during that time. Now, a lot of people hear that number and they say that's impossible, but what those people don't know is that a hundred thousand people go missing in this country alone every year. So we're mm-hmm. talking about a 13 year period and it's quite possible. Now, they just mentioned boys, but Weren't girls involved in this as well? Yes. You know, it's not talked about so much, but Alfred and I have many hours of footage personally that I shot with Alfred Bielik 
where he does talk about girls being used in the program. And a lot of that was for particular types of ritual between the, the male and female counterparts uh, to generate certain energies in that sexual ritual. So the, uh-huh. those are the things that they explained to us. And again, none of that really was in that, that first book. It came out in the later books, uh, later in the 90s and the early 2000s, so especially the ones that uh, Squirtlow was writing. Uh, so they were interesting pieces in the books, and I felt like I wanted to start from scratch and conduct my, my own investigation, which is exactly what I did. I, I wasn't adapting somebody's book. I wasn't interested in that at all. The idea was that I personally went to these men and what you see interpreted in my picture is exactly as you as you know Barbara you're watching the movie they're uh-huh. talking and now you're seeing these images directly from what they're saying so it's juxtaposed with these scenes that are interpretations of what they're saying well you've you've been apparently um a movie maker i mean the, the this is not your first rodeo um no. <laughs> you've been making movies for uh decades it feels here um and and you know you you've always been from from what i read about you um involved in the the science fiction the horror the stuff like that and you know a fascination for that genre and um and and yet this movie you know i mean well it does have you know um a sense of fear in it. It's, it's definitely not a horror movie. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's sort of like, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how you got called to do this and, and you've, you've done a, a, other movies as well that have been, um, on the dark side a little bit. Not, not, you know, satan, satanic, but, but, you know, a little scary. Um, and and it's just uh, I'm I'm fascinated first of all that you you got involved in the Montauk project and and I'm also fascinated with the fact that that your next project um, and and before I go for I, I'm going to flip back and forth between the two I, I I don't I hate I hate scheduling so or or scripting anything so oh no worries. Jump with me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, it, it feels to me as though you really are in, in some manner, shape, or form guided because the Montauk project kind of, um, you came out of nowhere and you decided to not do any research. I'm sure you had done research, but you wanted this movie to be reflective of, of only what you could find, which I feel has, has great integrity. Absolutely. Well, making the movie was the research, Barbara. I mean, that, that, I, I first, I went everywhere, the Montauk archives. I went to Camp Hero. I went inside the tower. I was asking and talking to locals up and down throughout that town. I sat with Alfred Bielek in Fort Myers, Florida. I went to Preston Nichols' home. I went to Stuart Swerdlow's home. I don't know how much better research you could do. I personally feel that this, the research from a biased book being written by a man. See, the thing is, I, I, you, if you're going to get into a paranormal subject uh-huh. and you already believe it, I don't think you're a good candidate to make a movie or write a book about it because you have to have some, uh, and I don't mean 
a broad subject like psychic abilities, we all have these things, and of course they exist, and, and an afterlife some form, and other dimensions exist, and alien life, and, and some other galaxy, or some other solar system exists. I believe this 100%, and did going into this. But just because a man wrote a book in the 90s with some information in it, and you read it, that is not exactly research. It is you read someone's book, and now you're going to repeat what you read. I'm sorry, but that's not research. You actually have to have your own experience. So I put that demand upon myself and I was not going to just repeat something that someone said to me. I was going to allow them to say these things within the context of my picture and allow the audience to hear them. But I couldn't just put them out there as if I know they're the truth because nobody does. Trust me, I have been investigating this for a decade straight and I, this is the only time over the past year I've been able to find anything close to research is something so small and seemingly insignificant, but to me it's very important, and really it's just a paper trail. But it might be able to prove something happened there, because we have no proof. We just, for a while, all we had was four men talking about it. Now there's some, a few other people saying they were there, but for a very long time, if anybody recalls, there was just very few people saying that they were there. Well, in the so, very in the very end of your CD. Um, you, there, there's a man who just has a black mask on that, that was in the military who was there as well. And he showed you an entrance that you didn't even know existed. Yes. I, you know, I had almost finished the picture. This was, um, uh, 20, this was the end of 2013 and I almost had it ready to come out. And then there was this man that contacted me on, uh, I, I think it was Facebook or he wrote me an email. Um, and he knew, you know, I had my trailers out for a while and I'd already shown the first film in the previous years. There were two movies, two completely different movies. The only thing that was retained from the first picture was Alfred Bielek's interview because he did pass away in 2011. But outside of that, I, I made an entirely new movie from top to bottom. So, uh, this gentleman contacted me. He's in the U.S. military. He lived not too far from me and not too far from Montauk at the time. I live in Michigan now. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, there was something about him that seemed very honest. And I don't mean the other gentlemen weren't, but he, he wasn't claiming to be a scientist and he wasn't claiming to be a, a man who developed any technology there. He just seemed like a regular guy and he seemed like somebody who, and this is like he, he um, personally didn't come up with the ideas that he was re recollecting or, or, or some of the terminology. He, yes, he could have read it somewhere, but it, it seems so genuine to me. So that's where it began. And I ended up extending the release of the picture almost a year because I wanted to spend time with him. And I reconfigured the film to incorporate uh, those scenes. You know, because you, you, you change one thing, you have to change a lot of others in a, in a picture if you want it to be good. You, know, you have to make adjustments throughout the movie, and that's what I ended up doing. No, I, I really um, was impressed with that part of it because – and but, you know, going through uh, – I think it was Al Bielek that was talking about the different levels that, that there were there and the tunnels that there were there and the connections with – with other places, I and and I kept thinking, why didn't they do ground penetrating radar of some sort to see if the tunnels still exist? Well, there is a show. This was a while back after I had the trailers for the first film and had put out some scenes for the first film. 
This was 2011 or 2012. I may have even had a screening of the first film. There was a show uh, that was either on Sci-Fi or one of these other... NBC Universal runs the company, and then they wanted me on there. So they interviewed me, and then they asked me to be a UFO expert or something like that. And I said, I'm not going to lie and tell people I'm a UFO. I don't even know what that is. What's a UFO expert? So I refused to do what they asked me to do, and I didn't end up, my interview wasn't on the show, but I was there. And they apparently brought ground-penetrating radar, but the nature of a lot of these TV shows, and again, so many people just believe anything they see and hear, they may have had that technology there, may have not, but I don't think they actually used it, and I don't think it was actually effective. Um, I'm thinking, if they had technology where you could, transport yourself from earth to mars or get some kind of person to take a child from its bedroom through a, a portal they might also have some kind of cloaking device that would stop someone's ground penetrating radar from seeing the base i'm just assuming there might be some kind of security involved in the place that advanced and that covert and clandestine so a lot of the times people have said well why didn't you dig in the ground or why didn't you do this and it's like I just don't think you're thinking. I don't think you're you're thinking about this the right way. Remember, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of illegal murders, okay? I don't think it's going to be that easy, and I'm not just assuming. I know I've had plenty of time to think about this, and I've been to Camp Hero and was brave enough to break into the tower, right, illegally, <laughs> yeah. go in there, go in every part of that place myself, and sometimes by myself in the dead of winter. Uh, so I wasn't afraid. It was just... You know, who wants to go to jail for a few days? It's really a drag, you know. To, so well, I, I don't want to so. do that. Yeah, so it's not a fun thing. And um, you don't want that on your record and you don't want to do that. And it's a big waste of time. So other, otherwise, I, I think the idea is that um, it must be, if the facility is there, and I believe something happened there, it must be so far underneath and there must be some kind of, well thought out plan that someone with their metal detectors may never find it. You know, uh, we need a little bit more than that, I think. And what Alfred Bielik said and what Preston Nichols said is that there was a transportation system that went from Brookhaven Labs, which was a bit west of Montauk, uh -huh. uh, to Camp Hero under the ground. So they wouldn't enter through the town of Montauk. They claimed that they entered into Brookhaven Labs, got on a transportation system like a monorail or a train underneath the ground, and that would take them to the facility underneath Camp Hero. This is what they say. Uh -huh. you know, this is what these men have been saying for years. So, I, I know, and I, I, I listen to and and these are all on YouTube. If anybody's interested in looking at them, I. There was a three-hour interview with Al Balick, and I was fascinated by all of the material that he gave out. And when when you listen to it, all you can think of is he was there, yeah. <laughs> and sure. and you listen to Stewart too, and and you know in his interviews, he I mean there is there is no indication that he is lying for sure. He absolutely. Um, believes believes everything that he says and and uh just from from other information that i've gotten from other people you know he he definitely as far as the the uh montauk project you know he it, it feels like he was there 
Um, and if people would like to get a hold of a copy of, of this, where would they go to get it? Uh, you can take a look at the trailer first and see uh, a little bit about it on my website, MontauqChronicles.com. And if you like what you see, I, the trailer is a great representation of the, of the film. It's a two-hour movie. It's loaded with information. And um, there are a lot of extras on the discs, and you can get it at MontauqChronicles.com, or you can order it on Amazon.com. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth a look, and and especially the extra stuff that you have in there is just it's phenomenal. The amount of work you put into this. Now, um, is this your um, vocation or your avocation? In terms of movie making? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, it's what I've done my whole life. I've graduated with a college degree in filmmaking and I've continued to do it my whole life. I mean, I was a kid who was obsessed with the occult and the paranormal and uh, supernatural. And I still have the book collection that I started putting together when I was five. It's still here, right, right in front of me in my office. I'm looking at it. So I, you know, I, I, it's been an interest my entire life. And, um, I, I, just like I'm approaching this new one, I love mystery. I don't really like what television has done with this subject matter and, um, lately over the past few years. And I think it's going to change. And, uh, I, I think we should keep the mystery there because that's what pulls us in in the first place. Then you have this desire, at least this is my opinion, this desire to want to solve something. Uh-huh. And that's a wonderful thing too, our desire to investigate. That's, that's a, it's an exciting thing and it's an interesting thing. And also, there's something to be justified in all of it. So you start with the mystery and then you have this compulsion to want to figure it out, this enigma. Okay, but then so- there's this, this other thing, you know, where people may have been murdered and kidnapped and you want to stop it from happening again. Uh-huh. And these were, these were my motivations in my adult life to get into this. Well, I, you know, you did raise, raise your next project, which I'm fascinated by. How did you come to be attracted to your latest project? It started when I was a kid. Again, I, it's something that I always wanted to do. This is the subject of the North American Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And, um, I've been reading about it since I was a kid. There were a few programs, um, when I was a little kid, they had Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. On TV, uh-huh. blew me away. You know, I saw a few of the episodes in the Abominable Snowman and on Bigfoot, and there was just something so spooky and mysterious about it. And I'm just being honest; that's what drew me in. And in recent years, I just feel like, um, again, this is a subject matter that uh, we're going nine seasons on finding Bigfoot, finding absolutely nothing. And I just, feel, I, I feel like there is a rich history there is uh in books um there's been many incredible books written over the years but no good movies in my opinion no good television programs really except for maybe one or two uh one of which is this uh documentary called uh, bigfoot's reflection which you can see on netflix uh but outside of that and uh, there, and the books the incredible books that have been written there's really nothing and so what i wanted to do and what i'm going to do and what i'm doing is making this definitive movie about the history with this incredible chapters within that would represent the 
the entire lineage of this creature uh, from the dawn of man to to in modern time you know where as far as we've gotten with any evidence or modern anthropologists now believe that it exists and personally I've always felt that there's no reason to uh, to dismiss it you just you, you know a lot of people are trying to see it as if it's some kind of animal population and it's not that you have to look at it as if um, the Sasquatch or alike beings are more like uh, tribes they're a little more conscious they have more of a human consciousness you know than than just some animal out in the woods and so their breeding populations would be lower because they're conscious of that you have imagine if you will tribes of Native Americans or tribes of natives or indigenous just kind of retreating from society and I think that's what these things did, especially after witnessing uh, the bloodshed and the birth of this country. I'm sure they wanted nothing to do with us and, you know, or, or beings like us, and rightfully so. All they did was probably get shot at, watch other people get killed. So oh, yeah. all, the, all the war and all the violence, I'm sure these things wanted nothing to do with these humans, and they retreated and, and they stay in lower numbers because they're much like a, you know, a tribe and an archaic tribe in the Amazon. Um, you know, it's like they just want to be left alone. And that's what I think they are. Well, you know, you, I, I would tend, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. It, you know, the, the fact that there are no bones except in Tibet, I think they say they have a skull, but I don't think that's been proven. Um, there are uh, swatches of hair that they say are not human, but they're not animal either. Um, the fact that they can't find scat and they can't find remains, to, and, and this is just my opinion, and I think I'm probably the only person in the world that thinks this, but I get a feeling that they're interdimensional creatures. Other people feel that way too. I um I haven't dismissed that idea, but really what I'm focusing on are these great stories that were told, and I want to tell them in cinema because I'm a movie maker and that's my job. And I mm-hmm. think being that there have been so many Bigfoot hunting and investigative type shows, why on earth would I want to do that and join the club of six million? You know, I, I don't want to do something that's been done over and over again, even if I'll do it better than them. I don't... I, I have this great idea, and I, I think people are going to love it because I loved reading about these stories so much. Uh, every story from the Ape Canyon story that took place in the 20s, or actually beginning with um, Native American lore, to Theodore Roosevelt's Bauman story that he told, to the uh-huh. Ape Canyon story of the miners in Mount St. Helens in the 20s. These are all thrilling stories. Uh, even Roger Patterson's story, you know, he was out making a. Uh, a Bigfoot documentary, and that famous film that we see was uh, Patterson and Gimlin making their documentary, and then out of the blue walks in a Sasquatch. And we have a lot of great research to, to basically prove that that is not a hoax, that is not a man in a suit. Uh, one in particular, an incredible book called When Roger Met Patty by William Munns. This is a meticulous analysis of the of the Patterson film. It's like, as if he's examining the Zapruder film, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Uh-huh. So it's it's such an incredible book. And so I, I read all these great books like Jeffrey Meldrum's book and even Patterson's original book that came out and all great stories and all great ideas. And I feel like they need to be in a very painterly, textured uh, motion picture that you're going to want to watch more than once. 
Um, and there's also the, going to be the mystery back in this. It won't feel like a halftime, you know, football uh, instant replay <laughs> like a lot of these shows do, right? Yeah. So. No, I I think that it's it is time that that somebody actually put forth material without making it a horror film. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, you're out alone in the woods and you hear animals howling or screeching and it, 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 it will raise the hairs on the back of your neck. Yes. Uh, and you must, you must have that in the picture. So you can't, I am not bashful about making suspenseful cinema. I feel like suspenseful cinema and literature are incredible things and they've always been, and it's part of the mystery of why we all like these stories. So it's going to be in the picture, but I'm going to show any any retaliation from the Sasquatch or any violence against humans is is provoked that I've read about just about every story. So mm-hmm. I'm going to show that as well, you know, and I want to show that perspective. Yeah, because you know, there's um, cashiers uh, cashiers over or UFOs over cashiers is a website, and and they have uh, documented stuff on 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 a Bigfoot that literally took over somebody's house they you know they weren't living in it full time and and uh, and i mean it's amazing they show how the children of the sasquatch and came and played with the crayons in the children's bedroom i mean it, it made them feel um as though there was a side to them that we don't know and and there are stories out there where they have, you know, helped people and and done good things too. And I agree with you that that you know there are times when there was retaliation. But heck, somebody comes after me with a rifle and tries to kill me, I may throw rocks at them too, or right. more. Right, and that, that's exactly what happened in Ape Canyon in the 1920s. There was a man named Fred Beck and his other prospecting partners, and they were finished with their day of mining. And they were walking through the wilderness and they saw one of these creatures looking at them from behind a tree. And Fred Beck claims he took out his rifle and shot one of them in the head, ultimately killed it. It fell over a precipice and it was dead. And so later that night, they go back to their cabin and they go to sleep and they are attacked by or claim to be attacked by four or five of these Creatures ascending upon the roof of the cabin, throwing boulders into it, throwing rocks in, and they said it was an all-night siege where they were having to fire their rifles over and over again to stay alive. And the sun came up, and the the animals or the Sasquatch disappeared, and uh, they went back to town to tell this story. It's a classic story, but I, you know, Roger Patterson interviewed Fred Beck, so a lot of that's in his original book, but. Um, I, I thought it was a great story. It was interpreted and in search of when I was a kid. So it's one of the stories that really scared me. But I have a I have a better take on it because what in search of didn't really show, I feel, is the emotion that I'll bring through of this Sasquatch being murdered. And this is a retaliation. So I want that to come through in the film. Will it be scary and thrilling? Yes, of course, because it was for those people and it was for those moments. So I'm not going to dilute that to appease somebody who's afraid of suspenseful cinema but um <laughs> but i'm going to be very respectful and i'm certainly not making a schlocky horror film out of it no but i think the 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 important thing too is that you know yes the men were probably scared witless but they weren't yeah. hurt 
Right, and they weren't. Well, one of them was hit by a boulder. But yes, I agree with you that the, who, these things. I'm sure if they wanted to, could have broken into the cabin and killed all the men. But they didn't. Even after the men killed one of theirs. So I feel like, for the most part, these these creatures are just want to be left alone. I don't want to say they're peaceful because if they were just completely peaceful, they'd be totally passive and they would never retaliate. But what I think they are is they just want to be left alone. And they don't want any trouble. And they're probably smart enough to know if they killed these men, then more would come looking for them. So yeah. they just want to drive. They want to drive these people out. They are probably know very well about us, and they not too much, but enough to know that we are not pleasant. Because let's say I did an investigation in this film, and I find some evidence, because I would definitely do things that people on television are not doing. Um, I don't want to be the one responsible for bringing every guy with a rifle and his buddy to go and make some money and kill the ones that I find. So we, anyone that's out there looking for evidence, listen, if you find something, take into consideration, you might be the person that has all of these creatures killed in the end. Because if some, the wrong person, and trust me, there are a lot of bad apples out there, catch wind of where you found the evidence... Uh -huh. They're going to go there, too, because they have dollar signs in their eyes, and they're going to want to be the guy that captures one dead yeah, or, or alive. Or yeah. wants to mount the head on the wall. Correct. Um, Correct. And, and there are those those kind of people out there, too. Now, I, I think I originally thought that, that because they were usually found in the higher elevations that, that you know, they might they might need to be in the higher elevations because of their lungs or something like that. So, um, although although there have been sightings in in the lower elevations, they they do stick to the wilderness. And you know, this country had giants in it at one point in time. And history is kind of just um, the history books, anyhow, negate them out totally. And the, the Bigfoots, the Yetis, the Sasquatches may well have been a part of our population at one point in time that just decided to retreat because they couldn't stand what was happening in other areas. That's, you know, it, it could be that easy. I, I get the feeling that they're far more intelligent than they're being given credit for because if they weren't, they would have been hit by cards and things like that, and they haven't been. Right, Barbara. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, and that's what I want to put forth in the motion picture and I feel okay we have to we can't just tell the story for the people that already know the stories and don't care about history I'm not making movies for them I don't care I'm making movies for people like us who want a full meal who want to hear it all and hear it done right you know and not just a, some quickie shaky cam reenactment I'm not doing that I'm, I want to tell well composed stories uh, you know I'm writing full screenplays for each of the chapters uh, uh -huh. so it's it's really, I want to make something special. I want to make something that you're going to enjoy. And I'm going to put my heart and soul and all my blood, sweat, and tears into it once again. <laughs> now, now, now I, I do know that you are looking for um, participation, financial participation. Is there some place where people can donate to this project or, or be a part of it? Yes. I just want to say... I started shooting Bigfoot in uh, October, and of course, it's all financed with my own money. And um, but you know, in this business, it's very difficult to come across good money partners, meaning people who won't take advantage of you. And mm -hmm. I felt 
these crowdsource funds that are out there allow people by their own free will to make a decision if they want to come in and, and be part of a project like this. So that's what I decided to do. It's better energy. It's people who want to see it happen, and it's collective. So nobody's giving too much. It's just little bits from many different people. That's what I had hoped for, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to my own money, of course, and all of the hard work is from us. And uh, So you can go to GoFundMe.com slash BigFootTheMovie. We were able to raise uh, under $3,000 so far on Indiegogo. We switched it over to uh, GoFundMe. And we're shooting, we're making the movie, but we're offering a lot of different rewards for what we call micro producers. So even at a one time $10 contribution, at, which could feed a crew member for a day or put gas in a truck or to help us transport people, um, it all counts. Uh, one time $10 donation, it gets you uh, our video newsletter, which volume one is out there right now. You can see it's basically an ongoing documentary about the making of the picture. So wherever you live, if you've contributed just $10 to us, you'll get to see this movie be made. And at 25 <laughs> you get a free download of the movie when it's finished, plus the, the newsletter. So you'll get to see the making of throughout the picture. But there are also a variety of other perks we're offering. So we're not just looking to take your money and, and not give you anything. We want to give you as much as possible uh, and, and, and keep you informed. I'm actually um, releasing one of the chapter screenplays coming up so people can read what we're about to shoot and that's an adaptation of Theodore Roosevelt's uh, Cowboy Land uh, chapter in, cool. in his book The Wilderness Hunter. So we're we're coming up on a break here, I think. And uh when you hear the music start, you'll have 3 to 5 minutes to get water and and take a deep breath. I Thank think. you very much. <laughs> course i'm not sure when these breaks come i i think i have it timed every time and then and then i don't um but uh i would strongly urge people to go to the gofundme um site and become a part of this project because it it feels like it's going to be a very exciting one and it feels as though it's going to be something that um you'd want to follow and and become a part of certainly about four minutes. Okay, so so we can talk. Well, of course, I don't know when he wrote that in. Um, okay, that's okay. <laughs> I, I am so so not used to having a producer that does all of the hard work for me that I take a deep breath every now and then and and um, probably step on Sean's toes all over the place. But he's <laughs> he's um, a very very quiet, calm, compassionate young man who. Um, is uh is uh oh now see I haven't actually been been no- noticing here but there is a um okay uh there there has been a question from the chat room that that Sean sent to me which I didn't see but when we come back um I will certainly give it to you and okay but uh I I just uh I I think that that you are so inspired. It's amazing. And I just can't imagine where you're going to go from here, but it does feel as though hunting out the, the cosmic mysteries that are out there seems to be a, a quest for you. And it seems very exciting actually. Oh yes. I, uh, just about everything I'm writing and all the motion picture ideas that I have, have this supernatural or mystical or even metaphysical idea about it. And I think that's what I'm interested in. And making for the rest of my life. So, 
Well, you know, I in, in watching the Montauk Chronicles, I couldn't help but pick it up, even though it was very stirring and a little scary here and there. Um I think you, you made the Greys look a little a little a little scary too scary for me. I don't think I wanna go uh <laughs> looking for Greys anytime soon. But but um you know, there was always that feeling that 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 there was definitely something going on under the surface of what was being um, shown. So you've put your spirit into this for sure. And and I have to tell you that, that the movie itself um, is is enlightening, intriguing, and mystifying all at the same time. And and these four men, um, I don't. You didn't have Duncan Cameron in in this, but um, I did do some research on him as well. And uh, I find it fascinating that that they are. I mean, all these people are older now. Al- Alice has passed away, and Preston Nichols lives in in a very remote place, and it looks like he lives in looks like he collects junk. Actually, I mean, the, the pictures of his house have electronic equipment all over the place there. Oh yes, yes, yeah. It's an interesting place. I hear, unfortunately, I hear Preston is is ill right now, so I hope he's I hope he's doing well. And I was going to give him a call uh, this week just to see what's going on. But um, again, these guys aren't going to be around forever, you know. Uh, their stories are going to, you know. I have hours. Luckily, I have many hours of interviews that nobody has seen. You know, I mean, it's a two, Montauk Chronicles is a two-hour movie. There was a lot of ground to cover, but I shot. I think close to six hours with Preston between the two movies. So, you know, one day I'll let everyone see exactly as he said everything to me. And those interviews uncut. Oh, he, he was an amazing man. He was a brilliant man, actually. Um, yeah. and, and, um, I, I, you, you could, you could tell in, in your film, he had aged tremendously from the other videos that I had seen of him. And um, Preston Nichols as well. Uh, I, I saw one interview and, and his hair wasn't white and he was definitely talking out there. It seems as though, you know, they have a purpose in, in... well, I'll talk about the purpose later. Three, three <laughs> to five minutes, Christopher. <laughs> okay, no, no worries. necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation. Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, 
medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. Over 3 gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a mega virus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records? Addresses? phone numbers we'll squeeze on over to freedomslips.com yes that's www.freedomslips.com click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer so folks keep your data safe for your peace of mind revolution radio freedomslips.com you don't need to expect us we're already here gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Look, you stupid bastard. You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look. It is a flesh wound. I don't believe I've seen such a display of courage, skill, nerve, grace, stupidity. I'll do you for that. What? Come here. What are you going to do? Bleed on me? I'm invincible. You're a loony. The Black Knight always triumphs. Roundtable Live, Monday through Friday, 1 a.m. till 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Bring your mind, bring your ideas, bring your voice. King Arthur had nothing on us. Yeah, Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and freedomslips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, 100% Listeners supported radio, and now we return you to your host. 
This is Nightlight, and I'm Barb DeLong. Thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Please help endorse our efforts and airtime by visiting the station's support page and making a donation. From station owner to all levels of management, the entire production crew, and every host, we all work without compensation of any kind. Except, of course, for the joy of being a part of a very unique and special station, one that supports a true sense of freedom. Any donation, even a small one, is greatly appreciated and keeps freedom ever-present out there for those who seek independent thought and new paradigms and philosophies. Welcome back, Christopher. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really, it's it's an amazing pleasure, and I... Um, I love talking to creative people. I love talking to people who are following their passions, uh, regardless of what other people think, and trusting that that things will fall into place. And I know that's a hard thing sometimes because um, I've frequently been in that position too, and it's like, oh, geez, is this a big mistake? Or <laughs> is this going to really work out okay? Um, when when you you come into a, a genre, a, a place like you are, a creative expression of, of some of the um, questions that are out there. I mean, you're, you're right on the edge of the paranormal and the metaphysical and all of that in, in Montauk Chronicles and in, in the Bigfoot produ- uh, project as well. So, so I know that you're driven to do these things. I know that there's no way you could ever sit in a cubicle and, and, you know, cold call people for insurance or something like that. I know that there, that, that this is your way of life and it has to be or, or you'll just go nuts. I got that. So, so what is it that, that drives you? What kind of a message is it? you want to put out there to the public? Um, well, oops, are you back? Yes, I am. I don't know what happened, but I am now back. Did you hear my question? It was such a good one. I heard most of it. Um, <laughs> okay. I, um, about creative endeavors and um, Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm wondering that there there has to be something underlying the fact that this is exciting and this is real cool. Is there something inside of you that is there a message that you're trying to put out there to humanity as a whole? Of course. I mean, I, you know, if, if you, you saw Montauk Chronicles um, mm-hmm. and also anybody that's understands or just thinks beyond a surface level way of thinking, you have to understand I put 10 years, all of my money, all of my time. This isn't, this is a compulsion. This is a passion. It's deep within my soul. This is not, uh, someone trying to make a buck really quick. I mean, really quick, a decade of your work. I threw out a whole film. I spent six years making a movie and threw it out, you know, and started all over again. This, this is someone who cares about the subject matter and is trying to decipher it and make sense out of it for the audience. And that's, my job as a movie maker, also, I have a deep interest in the motion picture art of things, and I love uh, getting deep inside the energy of things and understanding them for myself because 
one day I won't be here, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I decided a while back after a few traumatic experiences in my own personal life that I wanted to experience things the right way. To me, the right way is not having a life of just caring about stuff. I like stuff. I like collecting books. I like movies. I like different things, but I don't want to spend my life just caring about what I can buy. I want to experience things for my soul. And and like one of my favorite people says, uh, he's a great filmmaker, Alejandro Jodorowsky, says that we are here creating a soul. That's what a life is. You're building a soul. So this is what I truly believe. And so when I'm making my movie, it might take me a very long time to accomplish these things, or it might take a shorter period of time, but I have to find the soul of the picture. That's mm-hmm. most important to me. So what you described to me, what you said you experienced from my picture is that. Now, uh, sometimes books, you know, lend to certain things and movies, in my opinion, need to be a visual and an, au- and, and, and an audio, audible experience. And, uh, it has to be sound and vision mostly. And a book is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. And so for a motion picture, you tell the story through pictures and through vision. And that's what I believe. So that's my journey making a picture. And my movies will give you that experience. Someone else's TV program serves a different purpose, but that's not what I'm here to make. Yeah. Well, I, and, and in, in watching Montauk Chronicles, um, in, in many places, um, you can tell there's an artist in you, um, because, because the, the graphics are just phenomenal. I mean, the acting is good and the reproduction of, of the different situations is, is, is very, very good. I mean, it's very realistic, but, but it's those places in between where, where you're talking and, and the graphics are just absolutely breathtaking. So that you take, I mean, you take us from, from, you know, uh, it's a roller coaster ride because there's a sense here of, of you get, you know, the emotions going with what's going on. You get angry about what's going on and then there's a break and then there's this, this amazing music and, and you're talking very quietly about something that is going on and, and graphically you take us visually out of the, the scary part into almost a mystical place and then you plunge us back in again. So whether or not you're doing it intentionally, you did it artistically and graphically beautifully. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, a lot of it's just a reflection. Of course, it's a, the process of movie making. It's very meticulous. I, and I, I did almost everything in there personally. So it was a very, it's a very personal relationship with the canvas, like a painting. So that's why you're, it feels like art because it is, uh, because it's that kind of relationship. Movies made by committee are, are pieces of art, you know, different artists coming together, usually by one big brain or work order. But in this case, you have a very independent motion picture, uh, made by mostly one human being. And so that's why it feels more like, uh, at times a painting than, than anything else, you know, like a, a piece of artwork. It's a handmade piece of art. Well, it, you know, and, and it is a documentary and it's a documentary about a, a time in, in, in our history that, that, you know, we should not be proud of. And I, I think that, that, you know, you, you have put that out there as well. I, I think that, that at least, at least Montauk Chronicles is a wake up call to a lot of people that, that, 
this government is not squeaky clean or the government that runs this government is not squeaky clean, that that we are doing things that that none of us are none of us would be proud of if if we were told about what was going on. I mean, I understand that there has to be research and things like that in, in, in lots of different areas, and some of them are dangerous. But um, you even had, you know, an astronaut, you know, saying that he, he volunteered to try something to go to the moon. Um, I forget who it was. I think it was it was Preston Nichols that was talking to him. And and it, it's not in your film, but it was in one of the other documentaries. And and he was talking about, you know, who would be an idiot, who would be crazy enough to try this this um, these processes when they haven't been completed or you know there's no guarantee. And the astronaut said he he'd give it a shot. So I mean these these experiments, some of them. You no know, time travel, yeah, fascinating. Um, would rather see them put their efforts into, you know, curing cancer and stuff like that. But, but you know, from what I've read and from what I've heard, it's already been done, and they just don't want to release it because you know they make too much money on the pills for the treatment that's going on now. So that, so that you're you're also pointing out that that there is a lot going on here in this country that we are not aware of and that we should be aware of. And and are we ever going to be totally aware of it? I I doubt it because they're, they're buried deep, but, but people should be aware that it's out there. People should be aware that things are people. We have been a complacent society for a very, very long time. We've been, we've been like, like, um, like, like lemmings, you know, we, we kind of just don't pay attention. We don't investigate. And what you're doing is, is what we all should be doing. We should, you should be questioning. You should be proving. You should be looking for proof of things because, because if you take things at face value, um, I mean, look at, I mean, Montauk Point. It's an old, you know, lighthouse and it's, uh, it's a deserted um, army base camp from World War Two, but but you know if you look deeper, you find all sorts of material and information there that that could and and should be important to your understanding of life as we know it, because life as we know it is not as squeaky clean as as so many people want to think, and and we are coming to a time when there is greater self-awareness, and with that greater self-awareness comes greater responsibility. I think you 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 use this film in in a very amazing way to wake people up to what has been and probably still is going on. Yeah, well, that was the intention in part, and uh, it's done in such a way where I'm not going to uh, insist that I know all of the facts, but I do know that these things have happened, and I wanted the audience to see that, reflect upon it, and make your own decisions and so a lot of the time I would make a suggestion here or there in the picture to observe the people talking, listen, do your research. That's a constant theme in my movie. Do, you know, after you see this picture, go out and confirm these things for yourself. That's most important. And then the idea is what are we going to do about it? What, what are you going to do about it? Well, awareness is the first thing. And then if you were, um, if you believe 
that people were and are being used as human subjects illegally and being murdered, you need to approach Congress. You need to approach the government. And then there are the groups of people that say, oh, that's not going to do anything. Don't listen to them. Because in 1995, there were public hearings, congressional hearings regarding MK Ultra, And it created mm-hmm. a great awareness to the point where even Bill Clinton was apologizing for the Tuskegee experiments, for the so-called radiation experiments. So it does bring enough awareness and it changes the consciousness because it, it gets people to wake up. You know, if you have the president of the United States apologizing for something, right, you must imagine that it was much worse than he's letting you know because it, it, it must have been, they must have been caught red-handed uh, and, and were in many situations, had nowhere to run, so they had to just do something about it. You know, Clinton's apology was more like, well, I'm apologizing for those people. It's like, those people, you're part of the gang. You know, so I just feel like, yes, they're well aware of what's happened. They have a very cold and selfish reason for doing it. And I think if you can, you have a choice, you can either go on living your life. And for some people, it might be better where you you just don't want to hear about any of this stuff. And I understand, you know, because I had several bouts of anxiety and paranoia, uh, the more I read about this stuff, the worse it got sometimes. So I understand having to just say, I, I just don't want to hear about this anymore. Or we can try and bring our feet and head, our feet on the ground and our head out of the clouds for a moment and just say, okay, these things are happening. I am going to live my life, but I'm also not going to allow it to continue to happen. So I need to do something about it. So I think the smart thing is to speak about it soberly. Yes, there may have been uh, many alien creatures down there. There may have been time travel experiments. But here's the deal. If we can prove that children were kidnapped and murdered in some kind of experiment down there, it's a great beginning. So if we leave all the, you know, the really elaborate stuff that we can't prove, and that this theme is also in my picture, if we can't prove this stuff outright, let's not put it in the conversation. Let's just say... There were illegal experiments there. There were people being kidnapped and murdered for some strange experiments, and I'd like to find out what happened. It's more palatable that way, and it'll it'll get to the point quicker for us. We might be able to prevent it from happening elsewhere. But if I think they want us to talk about the aliens. They want us to talk about the so-called science fiction stuff, because what it does is it takes away the credibility in the public eye. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that's absolutely appropriate. Um, if anybody in the chat room has a question, would you be okay with answering it? Of course. Okay, so those of you who are listening, if you'd like to call in and ask Christopher a question about the topic tonight, the number is 716-406-7900, or you can call in on Skype. Freedoms, it's Freedom Screen 2. Um I just, you know, I think that that you have such an amazing message here um, to 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 get out to people, and and this is this is, I mean, the Montauk Chronicles is a, is an amazing, amazing um, video documentary, if you will, and it it does make people think and wonder, you know, about about what other things could possibly be going on, especially with the aliens. The aliens, um, yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they exist. Um, I, I, I don't know if I've met any, 
but uh, it, I note there's some people that I think truly are aliens, but they probably aren't. But um, I, I think that they are they are among us, and I do believe uh, strongly that, that uh, our government and well Germany especially got help with a lot of their um, their rocketry and and a lot of their other projects from. Alien technology and alien help. I know uh, Werner von Braun um, said that that he got he he said quite often that that he got um, inspiration and information and stuff from the others, the outworlders, those those you know the aliens basically, and they were working on time travel back then. So uh it it's it's kind of like I I I can't I I I have to think that there was something else going on that it wasn't just a whole bunch of sick minds that were um working with these with these people it, I I have to I have to hope that some of the technology was meant to be to benefit to humanity and and the problem is that that our our culture, our species at this particular point in time, when given a gift that is possibly extraterrestrial, chooses to make it into a weapon before it makes it into something that can help humanity. Unfortunately, that's probably the case. All I feel deep in my heart is that there were people murdered there. I, I, I believe it happened and in record numbers and, um, yeah, we're talking ten thousand or so. We're, we're more more than that, even. And I, I, I uh, well, so according to Alfred and, and according to Preston and according to Stewart, more than mm-hmm. that. And so, if that's the case, if young men were or even young women were taken there against their will and used in experiments and murdered, I don't care about what they were developing. They don't deserve to have the technology in their hands anymore. It needs to be taken away from them, and they need to be. Put on trial. Uh, if any of this, you know, these these people that have run the show and have done this, but unfortunately, I think the people behind it are much greater than what you and I are allowing ourselves to think right now. You know, mm-hmm. and I think they're still running the show. Unfortunately, well, so. I, I think one of the things that that really was um, unsettling is that that um, when when they were talking about I, who was it was it Preston Nichols I think was talking about how many um, now now they they were just they were destroying these these children's brains in order to program them and and I think it, it was was it Preston Nichols or was it Al Bielik? one of them said that there could be easily a hundred thousand of these children who have been pre-programmed that are out there today? Um, well, I know that some are out there, I mean, according to the gentleman in my picture, uh, but Stuart claimed that m- very few of them survived. You know that Stuart uh, is allegedly one of these children. You know, he, yes. he started off as a young young boy and, and went through this program. So I and so is also James Bruce, the gentleman with the mask. Now that was by his request. You know, I originally wanted to not have him masked or disguised, and just you know made him feel comfortable so we can talk. I may, perhaps 
you know, in a future volume, he will, but he did not want anyone to know who he was. And to this moment, he doesn't, but I, I still speak with him and, um, he's an interesting guy. He's a good guy. I think he's got a, he's got a good heart. Uh, but he's definitely seen some stuff. I feel, I truly believe this. And that's why I put him in the picture. Um, you know, I mean, part of my job is to make a motion picture interesting. So, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I don't know. I can't make a boring uh, piece of cinema for you. And, and, and so if it seems dramatic at times, it is because it was constructed that way. But the interviews are very free form and open and uh, you can see extended interviews on the disc. So, you know, if you watch those extended interviews for a fact, of course, they're not scripted. They're natural interviews. These are just men being asked questions. I came up with the questions, uh, after a few conversations and then they just answered them and I recorded as much as I could and, 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 and put it in the film in that context. But, you know, there, there are many things that are discussed because it is a 13 year period, 13 years plus to talk about, plus the history that led up to it. So it's a lot to fit in two hours, but I think I did an okay job of making it a cohesive, uh, you know, chronological story. Oh, absolutely. Um, somebody in the chat room has asked if you have read uh, Sean David Morton's book, Sands of Time. What was the name of the book? Sands of Time. Sands of Time. No, I have not. I haven't either, but I'll have to look into it. Is, is Sands of Time regarding uh, time travel in general, or is it about Montauk? I... I think it's about Montauk. Uh, it's, I don't know who Stardust Man is and he hasn't called in. So, but if he'd like to call in, we'd love to talk to him because yeah. I can't, I can't, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I think the thing that, that lingers so much with me is that even if there are t- 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 100 of these children, that now, so they'd be in there, let's see, this project ended in 83. So they say. 80, they, so they say, okay. In 83, so 89. According to James Bruce and other people, it's still going on now in, in some respect, so. So that's 30 years. So, so let's say that, that, that some of these kids are now in their 40s and early 50s. And have been pre-programmed. What were they pre-programmed for? And is the trigger still in place? And, and I know a lot of them ended up in institutions because they, they literally lost their minds and a, and a lot of them did commit suicide. But, but with the numbers that they talked about that they worked with, a large proportion of them are still alive and, you know, out there, functional or not, they're out there. Is there a trigger word? Is there something that is going to happen that will trigger them into action that is going to be beyond their control? I suppose whatever was implanted uh, in their minds, you know, there, there are interpretations of that in my pictures showing symbolic references. And those are things I researched, uh, you know, through MK Ultra experiments and stuff. So a lot of the symbology of the, the, uh, even the words that are being said by one of the programmers are directly from some of the so-called programs that happened early on in other programs. You know, I, again, I, I, I conducted my own research in this. There were several books that I read 
written by the gentleman who claimed to have been a part of it. But I, I again, you know, it's all coming from their biased perspective, in my opinion. So I needed to clean the slate and go out and start my own investigation. Of course, I did a lot of research on Camp Hero. I went to the Montauk uh-huh. archives at the library and spoke to the archivist there and spent a lot of time in that library going through microfiche, microfilm, but, um, you know, and actually physically going to the base. But the thing is, I just tried to avoid any other uh, biased kind of, you know, unproven theory so I can go in and absorb it for myself. Um, you know, because again, you can, you can have 50 tomes on time travel. They'll all say the same thing. They'll refer back to, you know, the Philadelphia experiment. They'll refer back to everything. But, you know, again, once again, there are no, there's no confirmation of it. Um, you know, I read several books on um, uh, quantum realities, like parallel universes, things like that. Uh, you know, that's, that's the name of the book. But uh-huh. still, once again, just to understand the ideas behind it a little bit more, but it doesn't lend to a motion picture that you're starting from the beginning and and allowing people to speak. Otherwise, it would just be me talking and repeating things that I read in someone else's book that has nothing to do with the subject matter. So the idea is, I, I it was to take these moments in time. That's my job as a filmmaker and a documentarian, is to capture this moment of this gentleman speaking and telling you this tale and allow you to absorb it for the first time. And so that was the whole idea behind making this picture, and, and that's what I did. Well, I think you did it brilliantly. I, I think the one thing that, that, that was unsettling when I – after I think I've watched it – I think I've watched it three or four times now. And the one thing that I kept going back to was that there are ticking time bombs out there in the heads of people that don't even know they have the ticking time bomb. Well, okay, remember Colin Ferguson? Do you remember that guy? He um he was on the Long Island Railroad many years ago and he killed a bunch of people uh that were commuting home from New York City to go to Long Island. Mm-hmm. He claimed as he was defending himself and acting as his own attorney in court that there was a gentleman who was on the train, he was on the train, and the man had a device in his hand. He hit a button and then he began to kill everyone on the train. Okay, there's a very similar story that was told by Sirhan Sirhan, right? Uh, Uh The guy. Okay, so there's a lot of different so-called assassins out there that claim that they were implanted with suggestion. This is an old concept. We go back to that movie with Frank Sinatra, uh, Manchurian Candidate. You know, all of these things. Uh, It was Lawrence Harvey was in that movie, directed by John Frankenheimer. Incredible Mm -hmm. movie, but these concepts aren't new, and they've been out there for a very long time. And so... What everyone or one of the things that the gentlemen that were involved in my picture and and also including James Bruce said is that it's something very similar to that. There is some kind of triggering symbol or word and they were being used for assassination missions. James, James Bruce claims that's what he was used for for many years. And he, he says that he's to this day, he's still active, meaning he could be called in for something and then they'll use him. And he has these, he says the memories are like dreams. So I'll wake up and I'll have these very vivid, vivid ideas of what I may have done and who I may have killed. And, um, you know, this is a guy who has a family and he has a job and uh-huh. works for the U.S. military. And I just feel after spending time around him, he just seems very genuine to me. He's not really look, you know, if he was looking to like sell something 
if he was looking to get a lot of money for what he was telling me, he wasn't. It was all just very important to him to tell me, but also very important. He even showed up at the world premiere at the Philip K. Dick Film Festival uh, in a ski mask. Because he still, <laughs> I talked him into it because I said, look, can you show up for the panel? He said, fine, but I'm still going to wear a mask. And I said, okay. And you can actually look at that Q&A panel that took place after the world premiere. Uh, it's on YouTube. I put it out there for free and you can listen to what he had to say there. Preston Nichols is in it. Um, you know, they were all there at the screening. It was a really interesting night. It must have been very exciting to see, to see something that you've worked for so long on, um, have a venue like that to, to have it presented in and, and then to win an award for it. Um, very exciting. Doesn't make you rich, I know, but but oh. very exciting. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think if I, look, uh, this is this is the this is a cold fact of life. I'm a I'm an able-bodied guy. I'm a t- fairly intelligent human being. If I was looking to just get rich, I could have done it many years ago. I didn't have to spend ten years making an independent motion picture and all of my money and time. So that's ridiculous to even think it's something that needed to be done and i just like you said earlier barbara i i was compelled to do this and mm-hmm. uh certainly money is not the driving factor <laughs> no I, I i i i speak from experience on that one as well now i i think the other thing that your movie does which is fascinating is that it sends people into looking into some of the other um you know projects out there project pegasus and and harp and mk ultra and the tuskegee project and paperclip and montauk and you know the manhattan manhattan project i mean it sends you into um i I think one of the wonderful things about the internet is that you you truly can research a lot of these these different projects that the government doesn't publicize and yet are out there and, yeah. and, you know, just take a look at them because these are the ones that, that have been uncovered. And there must be hundreds, maybe thousands of other ones that have not yet been uncovered. Agreed. If Montauk happened, it certainly wasn't the only one. And we know MK Ultra happened and we know the Tuskegee medical experiments happened. And then you can go read about other programs that have happened that have been confirmed. Read about the, see, this is, most important right now if you believe or you don't believe something like the montauk experiments or the campira experiments go read about mk ultra they're almost identical and that's been confirmed so if you if okay it's been confirmed by our government and it's been confirmed by the people involved and confirmed by congress and president clinton so you can't say this is impossible it's not impossible it happened identical Mm -hmm. things happened so here's the thing open your mind and now you must believe if it happened in this place, don't think that's the only place it was happening. You're, you're, you're being naive if you think that. You're very naive and painfully naive because if it happened in that place, you got to understand it was financed. It was approved of. People were hired. People were trained. And some larger, more intelligent force was behind it. It's that same larger intelligent force that's behind all of this stuff. And it's, it's there. It exists. And now is like, okay, why are you trying to find out? Why do you need to know? Do we need to know? These are all questions that came up while I was making the picture and I was asking myself. Uh-huh. And um, 
what's what can we do about it? Because the thing is, yes, we do need to know. Yes, it's important that we know. Because these people, much like many people in control in this society and throughout the world, are irresponsible with the power. And so that irresponsibility is the thing that allowed them to say it was okay to go and kidnap kids off the street and use them in experiments and murder them. And that is unacceptable. And we need to get off the couch, shut off American Idol, and start <laughs> researching this stuff as a start. The next step is up to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to go make another movie. But what mm-hmm. I think, what I think you should do is just go and research these things that have happened in the past and open your mind to it and then make a decision if you're going to sit around and allow this to happen or not. And if you're not going to allow it to happen, I would say, I don't know, write me an email and tell me what you think you should do because I'm interested in hearing it. Well, you know, I think one of the other things that that is so clear here is that it isn't just us. You know, um, the the project paperclip. You know, we brought a lot of the scientists over here, but but Russia took a lot of them too. Yes. So so that so that these kind of projects are not just in the United States. The, no, absolutely not. You know, they're, they're, they're all over the place. I mean, just lately there was a thing on TV about hunting Hitler and they, they were able to just pretty much prove that he, he did not die in the bunker and that he ended up in Argentina someplace. So, um. Why, well, so, yeah, that's not hard to believe. I mean, uh, Joseph Mengele got over there too. I mean, what was that picture made about that very particular situation of uh, the boys in Brazil? I think that was, uh. Yeah. About that. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, look, the, the, the idea is open your mind to the possibilities. Absolutely. Uh, come to grips with the fact that this, there are wonderful things and there are wonderful people in this world, but unfortunately a lot of the wonderful people are us and we're not in control. <laughs> you know, we're good people. We don't want to see anything bad happen to each other. We don't want to see anything bad happen to ourselves. And that's why we're not in control because the people in control for one reason or another, have to make the decisions to, uh, and again, I don't know exactly what the reasons are, but to use human subjects to uh, start a war, to, you know, keep a war going, to kill, to assassinate. They are doing these things. Our government assassinates people. Other governments assassinate people. We kill people in war. We train people to kill. It's part of life. It's the way it is. And, yeah. um would be nice if our species kind of evolved just a little bit. Um, we've got a caller. Um, caller 870. Hi. Hello. Uh, yeah, I was the one that asked the question in chat is Stardust Man. Uh, oh, hey, how are you? People also uh, know me as Daryl on here. Uh, hey, Daryl. Uh, the reason I was asking you if you read that book is because uh, it covers, uh, well, it covers a very broad range of stuff, but uh, in, in different places. But it, but one part of that book is about the, the time travel part at Montauk, you know. And uh, oh wow, yeah. And uh, uh, Sean, he actually does a show on here two hours a day, you know, uh, five days a week. And uh, and he's also been on a, uh, a as a guest on uh, a few episodes of Ancient Aliens. Oh, I'd love to read it for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly yeah. open to anything I haven't read on the subject because we're, here's the thing you just mentioned. He was on ancient aliens. I've been 
speaking with a, I can't say the network right now, but I've been speaking with a network. They they saw the movie Montauk Chronicles, and they're interested in doing a a series based off of what we where we can go from here. So that might be some really great information too, and a guy, and a good guy to talk to for that, you know, in in future volumes of of the investigation. Yeah, actually, that book it was a, a big thick uh, hardcover. It was in really small print, and then and uh, he uh, uh, put it back out there again as uh, two separate books, in one and two, and he and he's like like fixing uh, bringing out book three, and uh, it's, oh, uh, the information that he knows. What I, what I would like to see, I would like to see you and him together talking with uh, uh, recorded like uh, Terry Cassidy did, you know, does them. Project Camelot type interview, and that would be really interesting. Hey, uh, you know, feel free to email me, and uh, you can email me at montauqmovie at hotmail.com, and if you have any suggestions or information, I'm happy to talk about it. I just wanted to chime in and, and let you know that's out there, because it is, it is a superior read. I mean, you would really enjoy that book. I will certainly pick it up. Thank you. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, we've got. I'm going to drop off here. So. Okay, dope. All right, bye bye. That... Okay, we've got another caller, Olive. Hi. Hello, Barbara. Thanks for taking my call. Um, thank you, Sean. Um, Christopher, you know, I, I, the first time I heard you was on uh, Slorus Blue Ravens show. It's a really good show, like this one. Um, and, and, and the website and, and the, uh, the video is, is very professional. My, my question is, um, okay, so you do believe that this is still ongoing? And well, 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 what I believe is, okay, the actual experimentation and development most likely was at during that period of time. But eventually when you're developing something, you have to, you have to apply it. And I think it's being applied right now in many respects. That that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Okay. So. What? Let me ask you. This was my main question, though. Sure. I really want. I want to get this from you because you seem like an honest man, and uh, you're not doing it for the money. You got professional. Oh, I, <laughs> I wish. I wish I was being paid. Well, I'm going to buy, the, buy it eventually here. No, it's okay. My point is I've worked so many years and spent all my money. I was actually homeless in the last uh, year making the movie, so it, it wasn't about money. I, you know, it wasn't about that at all. That, that was my question. What is your main motive of the movie? Well, there's a few. Uh, you know, again, I grew up loving this subject matter from the innocence of a child, and I kind of covered that in the film a little bit, you know, t explaining it. Um, mm. And... So it started there, and it evolved throughout the project. The project was an organic journey for me because I, all right, I found it to be as a as a as a younger filmmaker very interesting to go and sit with these men, and that's how it started. I wanted to just this was in '06. I wanted to sit with them and talk with them and see where we could go from there. Then it kind of evolved in the first volume into something that I was just trying to understand, and I, I that's why I ended up throwing out the first film. It was an almost a two-hour movie that I just threw in the garbage. Started over again, and I was determined to not only get more 
deeper ideas and better emotion out of the subjects during the interviews. So I asked harder questions to Stewart and Preston. But I wanted, I got better making the other film as a movie maker, as a storyteller. So I, I felt I needed to tell a better story. And really, it's a combination of all of those. Was it to solve the Montauk project? You know, partially, I was interested in finding something. I wanted to, I wanted to find some truth in it all. And I felt it maybe solidified as genuine when I started talking to James Bruce or even further talk to Preston and Stewart, because it was that second time around, I really began to believe them and then did my own research. So it's an ongoing journey for me, man. I, I, I'm still still thinking about it. I just needed a break from it, to tell you the truth, because I had nine years of these ideas in my head and I really had some issues. I had a, a lot of paranoia, a lot of paranoia, you know, from from just thinking about this day in, day out and not I haven't taken a vacation in 10 years. So that might give you an idea of what I've been doing. I've been stuck in Montauk, you know, <laughs> this whole time. Right. So, uh, so what it's I, many, what many motivations, you know, many, many ideas. It's not just one or two things. So I would have would would I be correct in saying that you must have suffered as a child in order or as a kid in order to have the motive and the heart to do something so wonderful as this? It's interesting that uh well I, I I've seen some dark things along the way that have hurt me and ex- experienced things uh but it's so strange because I what you're saying is I I met people along the way showing the movie. And two separate, or at least two separate times, two from two separate people, I had uh, people uh, telling me they were psychics and wanted to sit with me. And I'm not saying I don't believe that they were. I think we all are. But um, they told me that I was part of this. And also Stuart Swerdlow said that as well. I don't personally recall that. I do know of the traumatic things that have happened in my life. And maybe there's some kind of connection there. But these people, uh, this is two separate, completely different times, different years. They said that I was uh, part of these experimentations. So, And so could you be part of that experimentation? Like, I feel I've, I, I connected with those people suffering outside of Camp Hero. I, I do. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you know, see, outside Camp, uh, outside Camp Hero, these things happen. They do. Well, do you mean um, like the gentleman that's this plague of shootings that people are out there and they're et, or et, et cetera. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, I do. I, I, I look deeply into those things because I feel like it's too it's in it's in too much in abundance and it's too bizarre and and too much to just blow off as some kind of uh, rash of shootings uh, uh, that are all arbitrary. They're they're connected. I feel uh, there's right. definitely a, a collective consciousness in all of this. It happened too much. It happens far too much. So uh, at times I believe, and I don't want to say all of it here, but I I believe that these things are connected to things like, and perhaps even the Montauk project, because that's what some of the, you know, the kids were being developed for, and so. According to you mentioned Solaris Blue Raven earlier, the idea is that some of the technologies that were, I guess, a little more uh, crude during the, the development at the Montauk project uh, are now, you know, they can put suggestion into the airwaves. They can they can they can turn you or I into a Manchurian assassin if they if they wanted to. 
Right. I, I, I have heard of uh, remote influencing technology. Yeah. You talking about stuff like that? Yes, yes. And that's, you know, I, I really got it in my head that that was very possible and it is possible. Uh, so at times I thought it was being done to me. And this is during mm. a 10 year full time period, you know, working on this project. And a lot of the time alone, you know, because in post production, you spend thousands of hours just, you know, going over this material. Uh, no joke. And, um, you know, there were times that I really I started to really lose it. And I was I was convinced at times that I I was under the influence of um, some of this because it's in my head so much. So I really had to bring myself back to earth. Right. But, yeah, of course, I I emotionally thought of and sympathize for anyone that is in any of these these projects or anyone that's being affected by it. Yeah, because I think we all are in a way. If, if this is the case, look, if the Montauk project was true, okay, we're in we're in some trouble. And if if it was true, yes, I mean the influence is on us to this moment. I believe, you know, like because if if that's possible, then anything is possible. And it's a we're in uh, we we have to figure some things out. We really have to do something about it. I, I would say one thing we need to do is get this movie out there. You know, this uh, you know your 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 website is just awesome. You know, I've been on oh. there. I watched the little uh, two or three minute thing you got there at the beginning. Uh, the, you know the the intro intro there. Oh, thank it's, you. It, it's it's very professional, more more so than than you see like uh, Time Warner do or whatever. It's amazing. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the production company that contacted me that's working with this network that wants to develop the show felt the same way, and I had to tell them. I said honestly, I don't even have a fraction of what you have. I have I I made that movie with enough equipment, and not that it was easy, it was very difficult, but enough equipment that fit in the corner of a small room and uh, not a lot of money, you know, at all. So it, w it was just a lot of hard work and concentration, and, and, and a lot of those scenes were shot in an extremely small uh, two rooms. That was it. Uh, but using wide-angle lenses like 17 millimeter and, and knowing how to use the camera and how to, how to light a scene you, you could really make it look the room look bigger. You can make things look more vast, and that's really just what happened. And it was just mm. a lot of hard work and dedication on everybody involved, not just myself. But I, so, believe me, uh, working on the film. So was it very? Was it really edited hard, or I mean, did, how was that? How did that go? Uh, yeah. Well, the I started. I was assembling scenes as I was shooting because I, I made a second film, so I needed to get it done quickly. And I, I finished it in under two years, so I I was... But we would go out and shoot a scene. We would plan the scene. We would shoot it. And then probably later that night, I was already assembling that scene in the editing just to be ahead of the game. So I, I was working maybe 14 to 16-hour days you know, on the days of the shoots because I wanted to just be ahead of the game. So there was a lot of, yeah, thousands of hours of editing went into it. Um, uh, wow. So there's a lot of stuff you didn't see, of course. You know, I shot well, hours of interviews with each of the subjects. So. But, you know, I see you got an Italian last name, so I knew there was a connection somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll let you, you go here. It looks like, uh, Barbara, you're right. You've got a few minutes here, and I just wanted to... Uh, Thank you for coming on here, and thank you, Barbara and Sean, for taking my call. And you know, uh, this this kind of information is no joke. And I, I think we really got to get this out. And you know, uh, I, P 
people should buy that CD and support it. I totally support you. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks for taking my call. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Wow. So it wasn't just me that was touched by this. That's a cool thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it makes a lot of the the pain and a lot of the things that I experienced along the way, you know, not better, but it's uh, it gives me a reason. I mean, if I put something out that everybody hated, it's not fun. Trust me, I feel <laughs> bad for a lot of independent movie makers who work. They look even to make a piece of junk. It's hard to make a piece of junk if you know anything about movie making. So I feel I I never put down any other movie makers that are out there working hard and. Um, I, I see other so-called movie makers doing it, and I think it's atrocious. You can't. This is such a difficult thing, and um, you can't. You know, it's hard pleasing people uh, because you have this vision in your head, and getting it out on the screen is difficult. Well, it's it's really kind of interesting because I almost met you in 2010. We were in the same room, working the same fair, and. Um, I, you know, we just didn't connect. I didn't stay to see your thing, and I don't think you hung around to see mine. So um, it was interesting. And then I, I ran across the Montauk Chronicles within the last year or so and and bought it and, and tried very hard to figure out how to get a hold of you, wasn't able to get a hold of you. And then I was looking through my... LinkedIn contacts and found that that one of your assistants was on there looking to generate funds for your your um, Bigfoot project and that's yes. how I finally got a hold of you. Well, so, I'm I'm out there and I'm glad you did. You know, I'm, I'm, it's very good talking with you tonight. Well, it's um it's it's always a joy for me to to meet people that that like I said earlier that that are conscious enough to understand where their energy should be put and follow it it's it's a it, it's it's not a, a calling it's not a spiritual calling exactly but it is paying attention to where your spirit wanted to go and so you went there and because of that the project i, I will have wings it, it will take on a life of its own and I think that your next project, Bigfoot, sounds fascinating. That's going to be an undertaking and a half. And, and it, it, it appears that, that you always go by what you feel, which is, which is the way you, you're supposed to do this whole thing. And, and I have to tell you that I'm, you know, insanely impressed with the, the artistry that you've put into this movie. It oh, is just thanks. spectacular. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So, so once again, if anybody wants to pick up a copy, where where can they find it? Uh, of Montauk Chronicles, you can go to montaukchronicles.com or abbreviate mtkchronicles.com. Uh, take a look at the trailer and order either a Blu-ray or DVD, or you can go to amazon.com. And... Um, as for Bigfoot, if you're interested in seeing what it's all about, you can go to GoFundMe.com slash BigfootTheMovie, and there's actually a nice preview of what we've accomplished so far because we have been shooting scenes since October on and off in northern Michigan and Utah, and now we're moving on. So I, 
Uh, we have some great locations here out in Michigan, and you can see my newsletter, which you'll get uh, if you contribute to the to the film. But if you have any questions, just feel free to email me at uh, montaukmovie at hotmail dot com, and I'm I'm happy to uh, answer any questions you might have. Fantastic! And if anybody's curious about me, I'm at barbaradelong dot com. Very easy. I keep forgetting to tell people my website. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, three, four months on this, on this station. And I think that's the very first time I've ever said that that's where I was. Um, I expect some visitors this time though. <laughs> quite possibly. Um, I just, you know, I'm so fascinated with how you are led project to project. So, you know, following you on, on the Bigfoot project and then. See where next you go. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you so much. Show.